Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you have them ready. I hope that you got uh, the notes because this morning uh, we're going to be sharing our, our theme for this year. We are uh, we call our theme cast service, if you will, just kind of casting the, the vision of the theme that we have each year. Each year we do have a theme. Each year we kind of focus on uh, something that is biblically inspired and, again, prayerfully uh, sought out, something that's going to tie us together uh, as a church body, hopefully an effort uh, to better accomplish what God's called us to accomplish as a church. And so, again, that theme is to hopefully unify us, help us point to Uh, what God has called us to do as a church. Um, Our identity statement as a church has been that we are a praying church with a passion for God and a passion for people. And that is something that for years I have loved, but I've also kind of wrestled with and prayed about because I I feel like I wanted wanted our church and kind of our statement to encapsulate more of what we are um, uh, on, on mission to do, on, in, in, in endeavoring to do. And so uh, just through years and, and, and seeking God's face and even on timing what we're supposed to do, um, I felt like that that purpose, identity, vision, mission statement needed a little bit of a, a, a refining, kind of a, a little bit of a zeroing in on not only who we are, but also, again, what our, our vision and our purpose is. So uh, before we get to the theme this morning, I, I, I want to kind of point that out and kind of share uh, where God has brought me with that, um, and that is this. So uh, I was searching around, and even in our P3 leadership conferences, I've shared, you know, this is our mission, this is our vision, um, but I felt like God kind of pointed me back to our original identity statement, but just to refine that. And so uh, what I feel like we need to embrace and, and have as our identity, vision, purpose statement just who we are as a church is that we are a praying church. That's not going to change. That's, that's going to remain. Uh, I think that we see that from the very first church, and I think it's essential for us in these last days to still be a praying church. So we are a praying church uh, that is passionate for God, passionate for people, and pursuing spiritual maturity. And that's what I feel like helps us Uh, zero in better on what our objective is as a church because in the great commission and the great commandment we're told that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel that we are to teach people who come to faith how to observe everything that Christ is is commanded so that discipleship process evangelism and 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 discipleship that's what the great commission is and so our our mission is clear it doesn't change the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so that is what we're trying to do in having a passion for God and passion for people. But why, what is the church's function? What do we do? Why do we gather? What what are all these things for? Again, uh, the Bible tells us very clearly that there is a goal uh, in our spiritual walks, in our spiritual lives. That process that we're on to get to that goal is called sanctification. It's a process by which the Lord is making us more like His Son, the more, more like Christ is, the process of us becoming less like our old self, less like the, the, the carnal man, and more like, again, the Son of Man, the Son, son of God. 
And uh, again, we have to understand this is a, a, a biblical goal. This is a biblical endeavor. The Bible says that it's, it's our predestined plan to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So we are to be pursuing spiritual maturity. We are to be setting our face on Christ and running after him. And again, the church's job is clear to help uh, encourage that and edify that and teach that and, and, and foster that. Um, again, all of us together, starting from me to, to every single leader, to every uh, member of the church, every Christian in this place, we are all on this pursuit or in this pursuit of spiritual maturity. Again, as I said, it's a predestined plan that God tells us uh, we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, it says this. It says that we know that all things work together for the good of them that, are called, that love God and called according to his purpose. And look at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So those of us who are saved, God had a predetermined plan that we would be sanctified in our relationship with Christ to be like Christ. That's what God, that's, that's the path of, of spiritual maturity. That's the pursuit of spiritual maturity. But again, as I said a while ago, it's the purpose of the church. It's the purpose of gifted men, as the Bible says, being given to the church. Why are there pastors? Why are there teachers? Why are there evangelists? The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Here's the reason why. For the perfecting, the maturing, the completing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is the purpose of the, the leaders, the teachers, the pastors, the evangelists, all those people that God has given to the church. This is the reason for it. And here's the end of that. Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of faith, so we're all together in faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and listen to this, unto a perfect man. That means to this place of spiritual maturity. Maturity as a Christian. But then it tells us what that looks like. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that's the goal. The goal is, is to be conformed to the image, to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That, 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 that the reason why we have teachers, the reason why we have preachers, the reason why we have people that are edifying and encouraging and, and trying to bring us all to unity and point us to uh, the, the, the Word of God and to growing in faith is because that is what God has called us to be, is mature, look, our lives looking and reflecting the life of Jesus Christ. And it tells us the reason why. But verse 15, it says this, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things. And so again, this, every single one of us, we're all on this pursuit to being like Jesus Christ. We're all in this pursuit of being, our lives being shaped and formed like he lived and like he is. And so again, that is the purpose. That is the vision. That is our goal. So when we go out and we try to get the gospel to this community, our end desire is that every person would come to faith in the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. But as, as they do, that we would have the opportunity to teach them and disciple them so that they can grow in their relationship and they can mature spiritually. Join us in this pursuit of spiritual maturity. And so that is kind of that. So with everything that we do, from our kids' ministry next door uh, to our worship services here to our youth ministry, uh, everything we do, our seniors' ministry, is to be to this end, spiritual maturity. 
So, why some of the other changes? Um, we refreshed our logo. You have that? Can you throw that up there? Not yet. Okay. Oh, you can. There you go. So, the, uh, the logo we had before uh, was uh, basically my handwriting. It, it was something that we had worked on, and, and I felt like this kind of encapsulate a, a passion for God and a passion for people. And so you see the arrows going inside, arrow going up. Again, of course, in the, in the shape of a cross. And so uh, that doesn't change. But I felt like uh, just having something that encapsulated uh, this uh, new purpose, vision, statement, uh, but also encapsulates our, um, our name, Trinity Baptist Temple. We are unashamed in the fact that we believe in the triune God, that we believe in the Trinity. Equal, God, Father, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we're proud of the fact that we um, are Trinity Baptist Temple. And, and so uh, the triangle, of course, always has represented that. There's, there's three points. Again, you still have a point up, point to the sides. You got three lines in the middle. Uh, they, one looks longer than the other, or, or the, each one, but they're actually the same length. And so equal in, in, in that as well. Uh, but it, it also uh, has a resemblance of a mountain. And that kind of gives the idea of pursuit, of process, of ascending, uh, that we are all to be growing in, into the measure of the fullness of Christ. And so uh, essentially, again, just having something that gives us uh, clarity, um, a lot of the stuff that we're doing here, and, and even that I'll talk about here after a service, uh, is to try to help that for, for us as a church. For every member, for every guest, for us to know this is who we are, this is what we do, this is what we're about. Um, a clear path of discipleship, following Jesus Christ, a very simple approach to uh, making sure that we're all on the same page, striving for the same thing. And uh, so that's, that's the intent of all these things. But this kind of leads us to our theme and leads us to uh, what this should be, uh, why this should be so important to every single one of us. Again, I just want to remind you, our theme each year is to point us to us being that praying, passionate, pursuing people. This year's theme for 2019 is Others Over Self. You came in and you saw the, the banners and, and uh, hopefully you, you, you recognize that, but uh, that is our theme, Others Over Self. Um, our theme verse is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, and, and so this morning I want to preach and see the importance of living a life. And being a church uh, that clearly puts others over ourselves. Uh, we're going to look at a, a few examples. And hopefully this morning, uh, being, be inspired by these examples uh, to let this be who we are. I, I don't want this just to be uh, a statement that we say. I don't want that just to be a, a graphic that we see. I don't want it just to be an idea or a good idea or an okay idea. I want it to be what we live. Because I believe that it's scriptural. I believe that we'll see that through the examples this morning. So let's pray and let's jump into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for the opportunity to meet and to gather in your name to worship you, Lord. You are the only one worthy of worship, only one worthy of praise. And, and so we, we count it as an honor. This is a sacred honor uh, that we, your people, the church, uh, gets to participate in. Lord, for, for ages, uh, this has been a sacred um, honor for your people to gather in your name, to pray together, 
to be in your word together, to worship in, in song together, uh, to minister to, to each other. Again, this is such a, a great privilege that we have. It's an honor to be before your presence together this morning. And um, Lord, we do, help us not to take that lightly. Help us as we are in your word now uh, to reverence your word, to reverence you, Lord, to have ears to hear, Lord, eyes to see, Lord, that we wouldn't spend this time in vain or waste it in vain, but that we would take from your word uh, this necessary theme, this necessary message, and help it be an inspiration and encouragement uh, for us to live this out in our lives if we're, if we're not already attempting to do so. And Lord, just move this morning. And again, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't have that personal, intimate relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would show them this morning the great love and the great extents that you went to display your love for us, to them. And we just ask you to move now, use me as a vessel, again, that you would be glorified alone. In Jesus' name, amen. The first point in your notes, if you have it, is this. The example that we see is the example of Christ. As I said, I want to see a few examples this morning of what others over self means or, or how that is, um, how, you know, what we can take from that and, and how that would apply to our lives. I don't think there's any more epic of an example that we can find in Scripture, of course, of what others over self looks like uh, than in Jesus Christ. And, and the, I think the greatest verse that encapsulates what the greatest example of others over ourself looks like is found in John chapter 3. Again, it's throughout the, the whole Word of God, all throughout the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. But in John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the, uh, serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now listen to this, you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no greater example, there's no greater illustration, there's no greater expression of what it looks like to put other people over yourself than God saying, I'm sending my only, I am going myself, putting others over myself, their needs, their lostness, their need for a savior, for redemption, than what we find in John chapter 3, verse 16. A beautiful picture of that. And then it goes on in 17, verse 17, for God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The Bible says that he sent his only son uh, uh, in, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So again, for a bunch of sinners, lost, unworthy people, God said, I consider your souls, your, your eternal salvation more important than my current place here on this throne. He left his, his throne and was made in the likeness of man, found in the likeness of man. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We'll see in just a second. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You go to John chapter 15 and it says this. It says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so we see in scripture that Jesus Christ shows the greatest love, the greatest example of what putting others over yourself looks like, and that is to lay your life down for others. And it says that kind of love 
that I've loved you with, you need to love others with. So the example that we see in Jesus Christ is that he, for a bunch of unworthy sinners, gave up his life so that we would be the beneficiaries of his great love and grace and eternal salvation. That is the highest standard, the greatest example. When we say, what should my life look like if I'm going to live a life that, that puts others over myself, what should it look like? Again, the greatest example, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. John chapter 13, if we go back a couple of chapters in verse 1, uh, I want to read a, a few of these because I think it's so important. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world. You go back to the Father, having loved his own which were in the world. Listen to this statement. He loved them unto the end. I love that beautiful statement. Because man, I, I think most of us, as it, not being God, of course, in that situation, knowing that one of your, your own, are going to, they're going to betray you. They're going to sell you for 30 pieces of silver, knowing that the person you're eventually going to, to, to put in charge of, of everybody is going to deny you and curse your very name. Knowing all these things, the Bible says that he loved those that were his own unto the end. What an amazing example of what that looks like, of, of loving others, of putting others over ourselves. And the Bible says that in the supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, Thus thou wash my feet? You think you're going to wash my feet? You're my Lord. Listen to what happens. Jesus answered, said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not. But thou shalt know hereafter. You're, you're, you're blinded to what's going on right You're not understanding right now, but you will know. And Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. You're my Lord. I, I'm the one that will wash your feet. You will not wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. What an amazing example. What an amazing example of saying, you know what? I am putting you above my... Again, he was God. He's the king of kings. Not just a king. He's the king of kings. Every, by every right in his deity, he, he could have said, You all wash my feet because I am the only, only one worthy of it. But in setting the perfect example of what love looks like and of what servanthood looks like and of what the great length of, uh, and, and, and extent of God's love looks like, God himself, Jesus, says, you know what? If you don't let me put you above me, you can't be a part of what's going on. You can't be a part of me. You have no part of me. So Simon answers, says, Lord, not... Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Give me a bath. <laughs> you know, if, if that's the case, you know, I, don't just wash my feet, but, but bathe me. You know, I mean, I'm yours. I'm all yours. It's an interesting thing, right? Because Peter, we would know, would go on to deny and, and curse the name of, of Jesus. Jesus, said unto him, Jesus saith unto him, he that's washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean everywhere, every way. 
and you are clean, but not all. For he knew that knew who should betray him, therefore he said, You're not all clean. He knew. Judas was. So after he was washed, after he had washed their feet, he taken his garments and was set, set down again. He said unto them, Know you what I've done to you? you? You know what just happened? You call me master and you call me Lord, and, and, you, and you say it right because I am. I am your Lord. I am your master. But listen to me, he says. If I then, am, being your Lord and your master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, here it is. Because I've given you an example. That's what I've done here. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. The example of Jesus Christ, the example of what we should be doing and how we should be living our lives of putting others over ourselves is found, again, in the perfect example of our Lord. He goes to say, truly, truly, very, very, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happier are you if you do them. John chapter 13, same chapter, skip down to verse 34, it says this, a new command I give, a commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love each other in the same manner that I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have one to another. When people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ look at the people of God, look at people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the identifying factor the thing that should, should, should cause us to stand out from everybody else, from every other group in the world, from every other body of people in the world, the thing that should be most obvious in our lives is the love that we have one for another. He says, by this shall all men know, not just people in the church, all men know that you are my followers by the love that you have for each other. And the standard of, of love that we're to have for each other was set by Jesus Christ as I have loved you, you love each other in the same way. The example that he's given to us is this. What do I have to do to serve you? What, what, is, what, what do I need to do to put others over myself? Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Story of Jesus telling, Then shall the king say unto him, His right hand come, bless you of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world because I was hungry and you gave me meat I was thirsty and you gave me a drink I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me then shall the righteous answer saying Lord when saw we then and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave you drink when saw thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee or when saw we, uh, thee sick or in prison and came and visited you the king shall answer and say unto them verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done to one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. So when we look at the example of Jesus Christ, we have the greatest example of what others over ourselves. Well, somebody, somebody's need. There, uh, you know, there's there's somebody that needs food. There's somebody that needs help. There's somebody that needs. Uh, there's the, the the church needs this. The, again, when I say the church, we're talking about the people. That's what it is. Others over self. Greatest example, Jesus Christ. But I think that we have other examples that we can find to show us what others over ourself looks like. And that, I believe, is found in, in Christians that have gone before us. Not only Christ himself is a, a great example, but point number two, Christians that have gone before us. The first group of Christians that I just want to look at are those that were with Jesus Christ that that were uh, messengers of him, or the word apostle means messengers. He was, they were the ones that he chose, that he 
commissioned as such. But what was their example? When we look at their lives and we look at their ministry, when we look at what became the end of the apostles, um, what example did they set for us? Uh, tradition uh, about the apostles' death go as such. We only have uh, a, a little bit of information about, uh, biblical information about um, those who were killed and that were apostles for their faith. In other words, um, like uh, James. Um, and so there, there, there are certain things that we only have limited information about, but most of this is church tradition handed down. And so here's what tradition says became of the apostles. Christians before us, what did their lives look like? Matthew suffered martyrdom in Egypt. He was killed by a sword wound, as tradition goes. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil. That was when the persecution of Rome was high. But tradition says that he did not die in that boiling pot of oil, but that he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And on the island of Patmos is where it's believed the revelation of Jesus Christ was given to him uh, to write down. The Apostle Paul, I mean the Apostle John, uh, would be one, one of the only apostles who would die what would be considered a peaceful death uh, once he was freed from the island of Patmos. But um, if you want to call that peaceful after being boiled and then exiled and then uh, you know, just released there, die somehow, you know, old man. <laughs> I mean, that's basically how, how his life ended. By the way, we're recipients of him putting others over himself, right? Because he could have backed off. He could have said no. Say, yeah, God could have used somebody else, but God chose John. And he went to that boiling pot of oil. He was exiled on the island. And he was that vessel that God spoke to to write down what we have today as a little bit of insight of what's going to happen in the future. What an amazing blessing. What an, talk about putting others over yourself. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to be boiled. I'm willing to be exiled for others, for, for the king, but for the advancement for others. James, the brother of Jesus, was the leader of the first church there in Jerusalem after the, the, the apostles were dispersed. The tradition says that he was thrown from the southeast pinnacle of the, temp, the temple. That was over 100 feet in the air. When they discovered that he, dis, he, he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death with a club. This was thought to be the same pinnacle that Jesus took, I mean, that Satan took Jesus to and, and tempted him uh, during those 40 days. Bartholomew was a missionary to Asia. Uh, he witnessed in what we know as Turkey today. He was martyred for his preaching in Armenia. And here's how he was killed. He was flayed to death by a whip. In other words, he was whipped so severely that his, he was filleted open. And that's what, that was the cause of his death. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. Seven soldiers uh, had whipped Andrew severely. And after they did that, they tied his body to the cross with cords to make his agony be even worse. Those who were following him reported that when he was led to the cross, Andrew saluted that cross with these words. I have longed, 
I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he died. Talk about putting others over yourself. Hanging on the cross. Consecrated by Christ. Continuing to preach the gospel to those who were tormenting him. That is a great example of putting others over yourself. The Apostle Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish the church church there. Matthias, which was the apostle that uh, the uh, disciples prayed about to replace Judas, was stoned and then he was beheaded. We already talked a little bit about the stoning situation, right? He was stoned and then he was beheaded. And then a lot of us know the Apostle Paul was tortured and then he was beheaded by the Emperor Nero sometime in in, uh, 67 A.D. But look at him for just a second. We have a lot because he was the the writer that God chose to use uh, to breathe the majority of the New Testament. And with the Apostle Paul, we see even in his writings to the churches this great example of putting others over yourself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this in verse 8, We're troubled on every side, yet we're not distressed. Every area of our life, every corner, every way that you look at our life, there is pressure. We're troubled. It's not a comfortable life that we're getting to live. This is a troublesome life that we're living in the gospel ministry. As we go from place to place and as we face thing, uh, certain, pla- certain uh, uh, you know, torturous things and, 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 and persecuting things, it's not easy. It's not fun. It's not glamorous. It's not comfortable. We're troubled on every side but it doesn't distress us. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're not giving up. We're persecuted, but we know we're not forsaken. We get persecuted for the name of Christ, but we know he hasn't forsaken us. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. And everywhere we go, we're always bearing about, in our physical bodies, the dying of the Lord Jesus. And here's the reason why. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. We are going about and dealing with all these troubles and dealing with all this this discomfort and dealing with all of this pain and agony and all of this abandonment and all of this betrayal and all of this persecution. We're dealing with all of these things. But you know what we know? It's okay. We're we're, we're having this, this... These bodies being destroyed, the dying of the Lord Jesus, because what our desire is and what is being accomplished through that as we're putting others over ourselves is that his life is being made manifest through the dying of our body. And he says, for we which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. So listen to what Paul says. So we realize that death is working in us, but life in you. He's saying, again, while we're being destroyed and, and we're bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus, his death, we're, we're following his death through our own death, through being obedient to him by sharing the gospel and, and preaching to the nations and, and doing that. But we realize that while we're dying and we're suffering all these things, it's bringing life to you. That's why we keep going. 
Philippians chapter 1. As I said a while ago, there was no collusion with me and Brother Robert. Paul wrote to the Philippians, by the way, from a Roman prison cell. He said this, my, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing shall I be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, body whether it's by life or death. Listen, this is, the, this is what the expectation would be, is that Christ, whether I die or whether I live, would be made manifest in my body. When people look or think about me, they see Jesus Christ. He says, because here's the truth, for me to live is Christ. I have no life outside of Christ. He is my life. So for me to live is Jesus Christ. And to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, if I keep living in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. What, what was it? He was in a Roman prison cell. He was being persecuted for Jesus Christ, for me to live as Christ. But as I'm living for Christ, it brings me to persecution. It brings me to discomfort. It brings me to pain. As I'm thinking about what he's called for, and as I'm esteeming others more important than myself, this is what it leads me to. He says, so if I live in the flesh, this is what I get for living in the flesh. But what I shall choose, I don't know what to choose. I don't know what to do because I'm pulled between two. I'm pulled between two different things. What was his, what was his, his two choices? To depart, having a desire to, to depart, and be with Christ, which is far better. He said, listen, if I keep living for Christ like this and putting others over myself, this is what I get for it. I get punishment. I get persecution. I get always dying in the body. I get this all the time if I keep living for Christ and putting others over myself. And so I, I find this, this pull between inside of me because I realize that, man, to die is gain. To be out of this body and out of this hurt and out of this discomfort, to be in the presence of my God, my Savior, my Lord, my Master, is way better. And so I have a great desire to be out of this body and be with Christ. That's my greatest desire. It's far better. In verse 24, here's the pull. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. There it is. He realized, listen, I, Paul said it, I, I'm a sinner. I'm the chiefest of sinners. I, I am, I'm, I'm saved by grace. I am the greatest recipient of, of God's grace. I was a, a murderer of the church. I was the persecutor of the church. I am the one who, can, if somebody says God cannot use a person, I am that person, I believe Paul would say. So it's all by God's grace. It's all by God's mercy. By the way, that's for all of us. God, I, me, anybody in this room, none of us deserve to be you. None of us are worthy. It's all by God's grace. And so if anything's done that is good and, and is for God's kingdom, it's all by God's grace. And so the Apostle Paul is speaking from that, not from a place of boasting. He just realized that he had submitted his life. And Brother Christian was preaching about that. Uh, Wednesday night and, and, and saying in their wildest dreams they would have never imagined to, to be doing what they're doing where they're doing it how God's using them and he and he alluded to that he pointed to that he said it's all God's grace it, it's not us we aren't worthy so if God uses us to do anything for his for his kingdom whether we think it's great or small it's all by grace the apostle Paul is coming from that place he's saying I want to be with my Lord I'm tired of getting stoned I'm tired of sitting in dun dungeons. I'm tired of being persecuted. It, it hurts. 
I'm, I'm happy to, to take it on because of my Lord. I, I want to know, his, have fellowship with his sufferings. I want to know more about what he went through. I, I want to I follow after that. I want to follow up after his persecution because he's my Lord and he did that for my eternal salvation. But I, I would love to be with him. That's my greatest desire. But I also realize God's put a calling in my life. And so for me to stay here and go through all this, it's better for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with, all, with you all for the furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ. And so again, the Apostle Paul was considering others above himself. And of course, our theme verse in Philippians chapter 2, it says it very clearly. That we are supposed to put others Esteem others better than ourselves. I love, I love the example of the Apostle Paul. But I want to say this. With the Apostles' example, it's not so important how they, they died. What's important is the fact that they were all willing to die for their faith. They were all willing to lay down their lives for Christ and for others. If Jesus hadn't been resurrected... The disciples would have known it. They would have been the ones who have known it. People aren't going to die for something they know is a lie. The fact that all these apostles were willing to die horrible, unexplainable deaths, refusing to renounce their faith in Christ, is a tremendous evidence that they not only had witnessed the resurrection, but it had changed their lives. And they were willing to do that for Christ. And for other people to come to know that Christ. Again, what, were, what was their commission? Why were they dying? Again, others. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost. The second example is the martyrs. I don't have a... I'm not going to cover that, but one of the, the great stories of one of the early church martyrs, was the, the name was Polycarp. And Polycarp um, was killed by a Roman emperor. And in his farewell, he said this, I bless you, Father, talking to God, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs, I may share the cup of Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a great example throughout history of the people of God, of what faith brought them to and brought them through. The Bible says that they were escaping the edge of the sword, that they, through weakness, were made strong. Women saw their dead raised to life, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might attain a, a better resurrection. There were others who had cruel mockings and scourging, imprisonment, stones, sawn asunder, cut in half, wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All for the, the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom for others. And last point is this in your notes, the example for Christians after us. Three examples for others over us. We have the greatest example and the example of Christ. We have great examples in the Christians that have gone before us. But this third group of examples I want us to consider are those who are going to come after us. What legacy will they have to follow? 
What we read of martyrs like Polycarp, we read of, uh, of the apostles, we see Jesus Christ, we even have modern day martyrs that are going through great affliction and persecution for their faith, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. But the question I have for us this morning sitting in this room, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, is this, will we set up future Christians to see and know what true Christianity is? Or will we set them up with a false religion cloaked in the name of Christianity? What will we have for the Christians after us? What example will we give to them? We set the example of what it is to have sincere faith and to truly put others over ourselves as we see in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at it. It says this, let us hold fast, hold firm to the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? Because he's faithful that's promised. God will not lie. He cannot lie. Everything he says, he will accomplish. And so let us hold fast to our, our profession of faith. But listen what it says in verse 24. As we're holding fast, fast to our profession of faith, look what it says. Let us consider one another. Let us think about each other in this. Don't just say, I got my golden ticket and I'm just worried about me and my family. No. He says, hold firm to your faith and with that, that firm hold, think about each other. Well, what do we do when we think about each other? Consider how you can provoke, you can prod, you can, you can push each other to love and to good works. That's what we are called to do. That's what sincere faith, that's what strong faith, that's what we should be doing for the Christians that would come after us, is hold firm to our faith and think about each other, to encourage each other, to push each other to love and good works. And then in, in this process, how are we going to do that? He says very clearly in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. There's a habit that some people have of not gathering when the body of believer, believers gather. Don't do that, he says. Why? Because if you're going to hold firm fast to your faith, and if you're going to faithfully encourage and push each other to love and good works, you can't forsake assembling together. Some people have that habit. Don't have that habit. But exhort one another. Push each other up. Push each other forward. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day of the Lord approaching, you should gather more faithfully. You should exhort each other more faithfully. You should, you should push each other and prod each other to love and good works more and more and more. Not less and less and less. Think about others. That's, that's what it's about. How, how, why, why do I not need to miss? Because you need to consider others. Why do, I, why do I need to be a part of this? Because you need to consider others. Why is it so important for me to, because you need to consider others just like Christ did, just like the apostles did, and just like the future Christians after us will need to have the example for. Second Timothy, in chapter 3, it tells us there's another group of people that will be in the last days. We have a choice to either set them up with the example of what we see in Hebrews chapter 10 or set them up of an example to follow right in the path of what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and I want to finish. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come because men are going to be lovers of their own selves. They're going to, they're going to be consumed with themselves. They're going to be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, they won't keep the word, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. They hate good. 
traitors, they're heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, or rather, instead of lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. Those type don't fellowship with. Because of this sort, that they're the ones that lead people away. They're always learning, but they never actually come to the knowledge of truth. What example will we set for the Christians behind us? Will it be the, the, the example of a Hebrews chapter 10 believers that are faithful, encouraging each other, pushing each other, thinking about each other to, 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 to do more and to, to, to serve more, to consider each other more? Or will we set them up to be this selfish, self-serving, godless culture that's clothed or cloaked in the name Christianity? 2 Timothy chapter 4 would say that there's going to come a time when they're going to turn their ears away from the truth. And they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They don't want to hear what the truth is. What are we setting up the next generation of Christians for? Listen, we're writing the story right now. What will they read when it's finished? Right now, you and I are writing a story of what others over self either is or is not. What will the next generation read when the story's finished in our lives? I urge you, listen, consider this theme. It's taught in our Sunday school. If you're not in a Sunday school class, get in one. Be faithful in one. Get connected to this theme. We teach it week after week. It's going to be permeated throughout every lesson that's taught in, in our Sunday school lessons. Listen, this needs to be in every single believer's life. If you're not in a Sunday school group, get in a Sunday school group. It's vital for you. But don't miss out what God has for you. Don't miss, let's not miss what God has for us as a church. Let's take these examples with us this morning and let it be a springboard for us moving forward. Not just for this year, but for the rest of our lives. And if you're here, as I said a while ago, and you don't have that sincere relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never truly surrendered. I'm not saying saying a prayer, not being religious, not having, I'm, I'm not talking about having this idea that you know that Jesus did these things, but you have never in your life came to a place where you know you surrendered your life to Christ, because that's what the word faith means in the Bible. That's what, that's what, what believe means, is to completely surrender. Jesus gave the example when he said that you can't be my, 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 my follower, you can't be my disciples unless you forsake everything you have and follow me. So that's what faith looks like. That's what trust is. If you've never done that, I beg you today to come, because God showed you his love by sending his son so that you could have that relationship that you could have eternal life. It's a gift, but you do have to trust Christ to receive it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for these examples we see in Scripture. And Lord, as we think about moving forward this year and this theme of putting others over ourselves, Lord, I pray that you would start with me, that you would move through every leader in this church, that you'd move through every volunteer, that you would move through every member of this church. God, stir our hearts. Lord, we see examples before us, and there's no excuse that's valid us not to live this life of putting others over ourselves we have nobody has a reason you set the example we're supposed to follow you as your followers so help us today to commit to determine to repent if necessary Lord, to being this people that puts others over ourselves i pray you move now in a great way in this invitation lord i pray you would move people if there, there's someone here that doesn't have that relationship with you they'll come forward today and I'll ask, how do I do that? How do I get saved? And I pray you just move now in Jesus' name.